All right, so Josiah began last week, and he preached through a few verses of the, first, the beginning of chapter 5 of Romans. And if you don't know, we're kind of working our way through Romans. And we're going to double back and look at some verses that are super important and kind of important to me and maybe to you. And so we're going to look at some things that might not seem like they go together, but they kind of do. And so this week on Facebook, I did a poll, and um, I asked... What things go together, and I got a lot of good answers. And then uh, I, I also ask what things don't go together. I'm not going to use those particularly, uh, but thank you for participating if you did. But here's what we're going to do. I, just so I make sure you're engaged, I'll, uh, let's play a little game. I'll give you the first half of these things that go together, and you give me the second half. Okay, you ready for this? Everybody good? <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, shampoo and... Great. Uh, Bonnie and? Great. Thunder and? Shake and? Shake and bake. Um, good. <clears throat> Bacon and? Uh, chips and? Um, pajamas and? No. Pajamas and Walmart. Uh, come on. You got to keep up. Uh, biscuits and socks and fish and chips. Oh, sorry, fish and <laughs> oops, love and hate. And that's really bad. Uh, it's marriage, marriage. Miriam said hate. It kind of makes me feel bad. Okay, <laughs> marriage. Okay. So some things obviously go together. And then some things are kind of common right now, or not common, but some things are happening now that are less... I would I'm kind of less inclined to go, oh, yeah, those go together, but evidently they do. Uh, there is uh, yoga and goats. Who knew? Um, chicken and uh, waffles. Delicious. Uh, a cute dress and uh, sneakers. Uh, my daughters tell me this is a thing. Uh, all the girls are like, yeah, and all the guys are like, you don't care. Uh, but evidently, uh, this is a thing, a cute dress and sneakers. And I'm going to give you one more, and I guarantee you, I promise you, this is awesome. And you're going to turn your nose up because you're punks, but I'm telling you the truth. This is awesome. Peanut butter and sweet pickle sandwiches. Oh, they are delicious. Uh, you have to cut the pickles. You have to slice them. My mama made this for me when I was a kid. They are great. Now, I'm going to give you one more that kind of doesn't seem to go together, but let me set it up first. So we're in chapter 5 of Romans. And Paul begins, Paul is the author. He uh, started a lot of churches. Rome was a church he had never been to. So he writes this really, really long letter. And he says, hey, this is some stuff that we're going to talk about when I finally come to Rome. And in chapter 5, he says, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he has now declared us flawless in his eyes. I want you to listen to all the big ideas here in the first couple of verses, because they are huge. We're flawless in God's eyes, those of us who've, who have faith in Jesus. This means we can enjoy true and lasting peace with God. That's really big. All because of what the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into His marvelous kindness that's been given, to a, uh, given us a perfect relationship with God. 
What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. So these huge ideas, you've got peace with God and access to his grace. And, and um, you have this uh, flaw. He sees us as flawless. And all these are just the first two verses. If this was all that there was in the Bible, it would be great. And then the very next thing that he writes is just confounding because it doesn't seem to go together. And we rejoice in our suffering. Now, I have suffered some in my life, and rejoicing isn't the first thing that happens in the middle of suffering for me. I, I, I whine, I complain, I blame, I moan. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Rejoicing really isn't one of them. And some days you, you have. Like, lots of problems. It's not just one problem. Like this lady in this meme. I'm having the worst day. My ex got hit by a car, and then I lost my job as an Uber driver. <laughs> it's funny. Think about it. <laughs> look at her. She doesn't really look that sad. So, none of us are immune to suffering. And some days, some seasons of suffering... It's like it just goes on and on and on. And I don't know what's worse, suffering or watching someone you love suffer. Because it's, I mean, suffering <laughs> stinks. But when someone you love suffers and you can't do anything about it, it, it really stinks. And just so you know, this isn't some trite uh, uh, recommendation from a guy who's never suffered. I was, I was home, my, 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 uh, my middle sister, Vicki, uh, had a, uh, I was a few years, about six years younger than her. So when she had a, her first baby, she was probably, I think, 22, something like that, when she had her first child. And I was 16, and I had a lot of parenting advice for her because I was 16. I knew all about parenting. I knew exactly what she should do. All right, so I just want you to know, this isn't some guy that has no clue, has lots of ideas, but never experienced it. Let me walk through with you. Uh, Paul, Paul talks about, hey, here's some stuff that I went through, and I think we're going to go, okay, well, this guy knows about suffering. Because this is what I do. If I don't know about something, I ask somebody who knows about the thing I don't know about. So I've got a mechanic friend, and if I have a question about a car or something, I'll, I'll call my mechanic friend. And I've got building friends. I mean, I, I am in, so blessed to be, I've been in a lot of churches, I know a lot of people, I kind of know somebody that does just about everything. And so if I have some building questions, I'll ask one of my builder friends. If I have a finance question, I'll ask one of my finance friends. If I have a, a question about fixing something, I have one guy I, I call and I'll say, how do you fix a blah, 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 whatever it is. And he is so nice. He, he basically says, I'll come fix it because it's really easier than explaining it to you. Uh, so, uh, but, but you go to people who know what they're talking about. All right, just so you know, Paul knows what he's talking about. Let's, let's look. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I'm not going to ask how many of y'all ever been whooped, but I just wonder how many of y'all ever been whooped. Now, 
I grew up in an era, era, era uh, I grew up in an era where you uh, you were uh, physically spanked by uh, your parental person. Uh, we had a willow tree in the backyard. Mm. Ain't no switch like a willow switch. I mean, it's like it's made for whipping. Uh, so he says he was whipped 39, 40, 40 lashes minus one, 30 lashes, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, which sounds worse. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. None of this sounds good. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. He could write a country song. My word. He's, he's always in danger. He's just like, oh, I'm always in danger. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. If there was ever an expert who could speak on suffering... Paul seems to have the bona fides. I mean, he has experienced some suffering. He's had people uh, try to kill him several times. Uh, he has had people talk about him. I mean, he has lots of issues with people. I mean, just been, he's had a lot of suffering in his life. And so he talks about suffering. Now, you might say, well, okay, is suffering guaranteed? Well, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. It's not a matter of if you're going to have trouble. It's a matter of when you're going to have trouble. And let's just go back to the beginning of chapter 5. We, we can have, because of our relationship with Jesus, if you've, placed your trust, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, you can have a flawless relationship with God. You can have endless access to His mercy. You can have a perfect relationship with Him. And then He says... Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. And really the question is, why do we have to suffer in the first place? Lee Strobel is a guy you might have heard of. He wrote, he's written lots of books. His first book was called The Case for Christ. He was a, an agnostic or an atheist who lived uh, in Chicago. He was the legal analyst for the Chicago Tribune, I think. He was a newspaper writer. And he investigated the claims of Christ and became... A Christian and he did a survey one time what's the number one question you have in life and the number one question of Americans during his poll or according to his poll was why do we have to suffer why is suffering part of this world now let's begin with this it's really important to understand the nature of God's power we teach I teach that he is omnipotent which means he's all-powerful but there are things he sort of self-limits that he just won't do. I'll give you an example. Before you think I'm a heretic, he, he won't make a square triangle. Because you can't make a square triangle. A triangle is three sides. A square is four sides. You just can't do that. And he's created the world with certain, with certain rules, uh, natural laws, and while he has occasionally done some things that have sort of usurped that, he typically doesn't. 
And we're going to talk a lot about this next week, but when Adam and Eve sinned, it caused, it really wreaked havoc and caused suffering on all the world. And so think about gravity. Well, gravity keeps us all in our seats. Gravity is a good thing unless you fall off a ladder. And then it's not a good thing. It's mostly good, except it, doesn't, it could be bad. Water is a great thing. We, it's the sustenance of life. We have to have water. But water, if you, if you can't swim, or if you're in the ocean and you swim, but you can't get to land or can't get to something, water can drown you. It's good, but it's also bad. Now, yes, God has on rare occasions sort of suspended the laws of, of nature, I mean, think about Jesus. He healed people born blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Those things typically don't happen. But Jesus even didn't do it all the time. I read this week, uh, he, he hears about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist's, Baptist's death was tragic. He was beheaded, and it's a horrible way to go. And Jesus gets word that John the Baptist has been beheaded, and Jesus doesn't go and reattach his head. I guess he could have. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's, he's uh, crucified. He prays, God, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering from me. And it wasn't answered. So while God might suspend on a rare occasion the laws of nature, he doesn't typically do that. God has given us this gift. And, and it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of two sides of a coin. It, it is... This amazing gift of free will. He will not make you do anything. He just won't do it. He, he won't make you do anything. And we all experience this. Because no matter how much you love a person, you can't make them do what you want them to do. I had a lady one time, she called me up and, and she said, Pastor, I want you to talk my husband out of being an alcoholic. I'm like... Well, if I could do that, I'd be making a whole lot more money than preaching. I mean, I, I can't do that. Number one, I don't have a relationship with your husband. And number two, you can't make people do what they don't want to do. You just can't. And so God has given us this gift of free will, but on the other side of that, he lets us make bad decisions. He, he sees us through the consequences of those bad decisions, but he'll let you make a bad decision. I think part of parenting is this. I, I have adult children, three adult children. I have one that's almost an adult children, or maybe she's adult, I don't know, 17. I don't know if you call that adult or not, but she's kind of close. And we offer advice, Miriam and I, and then we let them make their decisions because we can't make them do what we want them to do. And then if they make a bad decision, and when you're in your 20s, sometimes you do. You're not the wisest person. We offer advice, we allow them to make their own decisions because they're going to do it anyway, and then we love them through the consequences. This is how it works. And they grow from those experiences. And this is what we're going to learn from, from our text today. All right, so let's start with this. What are the potential benefits of suffering? Let me give you a few, and we're going to go outside of Romans just for a few verses. It forces us to depend on God. So again, this is Paul, same author, different book. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, you would think that in a relationship with God, then it's going to be smooth sailing, but then we experience negative, negative things and we have a choice. 
Am I going to depend on God when this happens? Somebody ought to write a book, Things That Aren't in the Bible. Because there are lots of stuff, like this one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Your mama said that, but God didn't say that. It's good. You should be clean. I'm all for it. But it's not a scriptural mandate. What about this one? God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. In fact, it kind of runs contrary to the Bible. The Bible says God helps those who are suffering. God is close to the brokenhearted. This is another one. Here's this one. God will never put more on you than you can handle. Not in the Bible. Now, there's something kind of like that. It says uh, he will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But it doesn't say he will never let you suffer beyond what you can bear. In fact, Paul, Paul writes this. Look, we were crushed and overwhelmed. I mean, think about, look at the language. Beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. I'm so happy there are people like this in Scripture. Because I don't know about you, but there have been times when I was crushed and overwhelmed. And I didn't know about my ability to endure. And I didn't think I would live through it. And in fact, I expected to die. It, I, I felt that. Why does it happen? But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and started to rely on God who raised the dead. And Paul comes back to the power of the resurrection over and over in Scripture. In our world today, we have something called helicopter parents. They hover and make sure nothing ever goes wrong. And God just isn't like that. He's given us free will. He will not take it away. You might choose wrongly. And here's what's really crazy. I might make a bad choice that affects others. My sin might affect, probably will affect other people. It's the same with all of us. And some of us are experiencing a suffering of, I didn't do anything wrong, and yet I'm still suffering. I know. Me too. What's worse than that is, I've caused suffering that they didn't deserve. I've had that too. Now, suffering can bring us closer to God. It has the ability to force us to depend on God. It can also keep us grounded he talks about this thorn in the flesh again. I, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming proud. And nobody exactly knows what the thorn in the flesh was. There's a lot of speculation about it, but nobody actually knows. And I think it's kind of good we don't know, because we all have a thorn in the flesh, something that sort of keeps us up at night. He or she might be sitting right next to you right now. I mean, that thorn, don't point. Uh, you shouldn't look. Look at me and go, uh, and I'll know. I'll know. We'll know. Like code. You do your eyes. You know, we'll know. But it's the thing that happens in your life that you think about all the time, that you worry about, that, that wakes you up. And Paul had this thorn, and nobody knows what it was. And this is what he does, because this is what we do. Three different times, I begged. It's interesting, the language. He didn't ask. He didn't, you know, uh, sort of uh, ease into it. 
three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. This is a cat who is probably the greatest Christian who ever walked this earth. He planted churches. We saw how he suffered for the Lord. He won converts. Many of us, maybe all of us, are here because of the work that Paul did in the first century. He got the good news out to people, which then it kept spreading. It's like a multi-level marketing. He was the guy that started the business, you know. And so he has gotten it out to everybody. And probably we could all, at least in some, uh, some small amount, say, okay, well, then we're here because of what Paul did. You'd think if there was a guy who could get a request answered by God, it would be Paul. And each time God said... My grace is all you need. It's all you need. And that is a really hard answer. I want to not suffer. God sometimes says, suffering is the best thing for you. And that's not the answer that I want. So now I'm, I am confronted with a question. Do I trust God enough to believe that He has my best interest at heart and that He knows what He's doing? My grace is all you need my power works best in weakness. This world has to be appealing enough so we don't want to go to heaven right away. And it is. I mean, I love this world. Don't you love things? I love, I love rainy days. I, I, love, uh, I, I love the mountains. I love the ocean. I love to hike. I mean, I, I, there's so much about this world. I, I love it when my team wins. I, I even kind of like it when my team loses and I can complain. You know, it's like I'm going to gripe with all my friends and we can all can kind of rally around being mad at something. I mean, I kind of like all that stuff. Life is great, but the older you get, life is temporary enough where you realize there's got to be something more. And the older you get, the less stuff starts working. And God has designed life on this earth to be... It gives us this opportunity to live up to our potential, to grow into who God has wanted us to be. See, it's called sanctification, big church word. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. And Paul was just told, hey, the best way to be sanctified, to be like Jesus, is to endure weakness and suffering and if this world is all there is, suffering is horrible. But it's a, a, a major idea shift. If this isn't all there is, if this is training for eternity, then this little blip of time we call life on earth, if it, if it also includes some suffering then maybe it's part of the progress of the process where God is making us more like Jesus. So third thing, 
It connects us. This is special, by the way. It connects us with the sacrifice of Jesus. Look at this text. Great text. Again, Paul writes this. I want to know Christ. And all of us would say, yes, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Yes, and I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Not so much. I like Christ. I kind of like to know him. And I like power. It's that whole suffering thing. It's like we think the Lord is a fast food restaurant. We want to sing the little jingle. Hold the trials, hold the problem. I want God to quickly solve them. All I ask is that he simply gives it to me my way. Uh, We want it our way. We rule. I mean, that's us. That's who we think we are. And the problem is we get the whole thing when we follow Christ, not just the good stuff. And I've lived long enough to see some things. When someone experiences hurt, they they become experts to help somebody else who begins to experience the same hurt. Or trial, or whatever. It doesn't have to be, uh, but, but it's whatever they go through. So I see it. If somebody's been in the military, when they meet somebody in the military, they kind of have a, a bond. They connect. New mothers. <laughs> it's fun to see new mothers meet each other. Is, is she sleeping? Does she sleep? How does she eat? Does she eat? How do you change a diaper? You know, it's like stuff like that. Like they, they don't know stuff yet. How's that going? Uh, toddlers, moms of toddlers, they know stuff. Uh, dads of girls. If you're a dad of girls, we have a different experience. Uh, Girls are crazy. (laughs) My daughter, Mallory, she is the best person in the world, but she got a bad haircut one time, and I mean to tell you, I thought she was going to lose her mind. You know what dudes do when they get a bad haircut? We wear a cap. I mean, it's easy for us. She lost her mind. Uh, whenever I go into a, a group, I look for somebody. I gravitate toward people like me, young, athletic, handsome. Because I know we're going to have something in common, something to talk about. We connect with Christ through suffering. Look at this prophecy about Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. So... When you're despised and rejected, and when you suffer, and when you experience pain, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He knows. And there's this amazing connection with God through suffering. It's not like He didn't suffer, He knows. He knows. Now, there are some potential benefits, some, some things that it can produce in our lives. One is endurance. So Paul goes on and he says, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance. The ability to make it through, to handle pressure. This is a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. It is an engineering marvel. It's built right on the San Andreas um, earthquake fault line. It's built with cables. Evidently, the engineers designed this so it could sway. In the middle of the bridge, it has a swaying capacity of 20 feet. So it's remarkable. 
And the engineers took into account there were going to be different kinds of loads on this particular bridge. There's the, uh, it's called the, the dead load. It's just the load of being a bridge. It's got weight to it. Then there's the live load. That's, that's when cars are, are driving on it. And then it's got a wind load. The wind sometimes whips through uh, the bay and, and it causes things to move. And in life, we sort of have, we have the dead load. There's, there's us, there's our sin nature, that's us. And then there's the live load of living and it just brings its challenges. And then there are the emergencies, the wind load. And God uses suffering to teach us how to handle pressure. And the op opposite of endurance is panic. And you see it. Jesus is in a boat. He's asleep. His disciples come to him. It's, it's a big storm raging outside. And I actually, I don't know how he slept. These boats, as far as I can tell, didn't have a cover on them. So he's kind of sleeping exposed to the elements. And there's a big storm. And Jesus evidently doesn't notice. And they wake him up. And they say to him what we say, Don't you care? If we drowned, it's what we say. Lord, don't you care? I mean, this stinks. Don't you care that this stinks? Really interesting. Jesus got up and he said, peace be still. It literally means sit down and shut up. Let's go back to Paul just for a second. We were crushed, overwhelmed, beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. We, we expected to die. And as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God. And Paul learns two things about this particular instance. In his own ability, he can't handle it. In God's ability, he can handle it. So we learn endurance through this, or we can. It can produce character and endurance produces character character is it's kind of a it's not a word that's used much in the new testament only seven times and it's always paul that uses it character basically means someone something is proven reliable and i don't know if you're old enough some of you probably are to remember there used to be american tourist or luggage and the advertisement for american tourist or luggage is they they had a um they had a piece of luggage and they would put it in a cage and then a, a gorilla would come in and he would jump on you know jump on the piece of luggage and he would throw it up against the bars and he would swing around with it and all that stuff and then the tagline was it's been tested so you can be sure And suffering tests us. One of the most interesting texts in Scripture is Hebrews 2.10. And it basically said, says, Jesus was made perfect through suffering. He was made perfect. Now, it wasn't, he's not made sinless. He was already sinless. It, it basically means he was made mature. Jesus was matured through suffering. So think about it. Jesus was tempted. He, he came through it okay. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was lied about. He was misunderstood. He was rejected. His, his own people said he has lost his mind came through all that. 
He endured the cross, came through all that. His maturity, Jesus matured through suffering. Now, if it took suffering to mature Jesus, how do you think it's going to work with you? Probably through suffering. Me and you mature through suffering. I was in the delivery room for every one of our four daughters that were born. Uh, I watched Miriam go through labor. It seemed to take forever. I it kept encouraging her to hurry up. I think that helped. I'm sure she appreciated that. Uh, one time was in March, and I, there was a basketball game on. I really needed to see. So uh, I, was, I was praying. You know, I was suffering because I was about to miss a ball game. And, uh, uh, and then there was Miriam screaming and stuff. And so anyway, I'm in the room. I'm seeing the agony of labor on my wife's face. And then those girls were born. And here, here's what I saw. The agony of labor was immediately dispelled by the ecstasy of life, of new life. My wife went from pain to joy in the blink of an eye. If this is all there is, if we have to endure suffering to no benefit, it's hard, it's difficult. But that's not the truth. It says about Jesus, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Once you've been through a struggle, you can handle another struggle. It builds your character. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope is sort of like the diploma you get for getting through the trials. I heard about a retired man. He went to, uh, went to one of the nursing homes, one of the nursing facilities where they have residents, and, and he put on a little show for him. You know, he sang some goofy songs and that kind of thing. And, and his, his program, his show is over, and he's heading out the door, and there's a little lady in a wheelchair, and he says, I hope you get better soon. And she said, I hope you get better soon. And so uh, we, we live with hope, right? We, we understand hope. It, means, it doesn't mean something I wish for. It just means I'm confident in it. Because here's what happens. When I, when I endure a, an issue once, I don't know what I'm doing first time. Second time, I know a little better. Third time, I've got it. I know what to do now. I don't know first time. It's hard the second time. Third time, I know what I'm doing. But here's the warning, and you've got to understand this. There's no guarantee of these results. Cause... Suffering can make you better, or it can make you bitter. You have the free will to choose. 
And it's all really about attitude. Sometimes you just have to make a choice to rejoice. You don't feel like it. You just do it. I read a little pamphlet this week by a guy named John Piper. He's a pastor in Minnesota, I think Minnesota. Uh, and Piper contracted cancer. He was about to have a cancer treatment or a surgery. And before he goes into surgery, the night before, he writes this little pamphlet. And it's entitled, Don't Waste Your Cancer. I would encourage you to read it. It won't take you 10 minutes. It's really not long. Uh, I, it's, I found a PDF free. You can just read You should read it. I'll give you a couple of them that he said. He said, you'll waste your cancer if you seek comfort from the odds rather than from God. If you depend on what the doctors say, hey, here are your odds, rather than I'm going to depend on God, you'll waste your cancer. He said, you'll waste your cancer if you believe it is a curse and not a gift. And that is really mature. He said, you'll waste your cancer if you grieve as those who have no hope. Back to Romans 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Life is this process. Sanctification is becoming more and more like Jesus. I often wonder, why do mountain climbers not just get dropped off at the mountain, you know, top of the mountain? They could kind of parachute down, you know, just, just land on top of the mountain. It's because the, the conquest makes it awesome. Can I do it? Can I endure it? Can I physically make it to the summit? The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Jesus as we are changed into His glorious image. And one of the things He uses is suffering. When my kids were in Sunday school, they used to sing a little song. He's still working on me. You know this one? To make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. The sun... And the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. Because he's still working on me. We're not there yet. And you might say, Pastor, I don't know how to rejoice in suffering. You don't know how yet. You don't know how yet, but it doesn't mean you won't. It doesn't mean you can't. Thank you, Lord, for a tremendous encouragement to us, I hope, today, to know that you know, and there's a purpose, and there's a plan, and you know, and you know, and you know. Thank you for knowing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.